John chapter 6, we will pick up this evening in verse 52. And we will go all the way through to the end of the chapter, verse 71, Lord willing, this evening. You recall last time we had spoken on some difficult topics, and I told you just wait till next time. As Jesus Christ in this passage tells them that if they want to go to heaven, if they want eternal life, they must eat his flesh. I said we're going to have some time to uh, think about that, talk about that today, and I'm excited to do so. You know, mankind has always had a difficult time identifying true necessity. Debates constantly rage in every circle of philosophy, in every circle of theology, in every circle of ideology in regard to what men need the most. We've heard it all throughout, particularly this political season, what is most needful for men. There are many who would say that mankind's greatest need is education. If the world can be educated, then poverty would be eliminated, then crime would be eliminated, because after all, the only people that would commit crimes would be the uneducated. The only people who uh, have no money are the uneducated. And so if we could only educate people, then poverty and crime would go away. Some that say the only thing that a man needs is liberty. If people would simply be free to do what they want to do, then the good would outweigh the bad in society and we would all just be happy. There are many who say... that mankind needs to be purged of weakness. And if we can only purge mankind of his weakness, if we could only keep the strong and purge the weak, then we can create a better society of strong people. We who are believers should have a good idea about what it is that man really needs in this life. We should have a good idea about the most needful things and the most unique thing about Christianity. The perspective that we have as opposed to many other perspectives in this world is that the thing that we recognize man needs the most has very little to do with anything physical. The thing we recognize that man needs the most is on a spiritual plane. And so the title of the sermon this evening is What We Really Need. What Man really needs. And what I would like to do, what what I was hoping this introduction would do for us, is it would be a trigger in our minds. As you're listening to the radio, as you're reading the newspaper, as you're browsing the internet, however you get your news, and you hear the various people talk about what we really need, let it be a trigger to you about what man truly needs in this life. And so we're going to ask three questions this evening that explore mankind's need as well as mankind's purpose in relation to that need upon this earth and in this life. Three questions this evening. What do we really need? Look at me in verse 52 of John chapter 6. Jesus Christ speaking, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye shall have no, excuse me, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. First question we're going to ask this evening what does man really need in this life? What does man really need in this life? As we read those verses together, beginning at 51, not 52 as I mentioned, but as we read those verses together, at face value, this is an extremely difficult scripture passage to understand and to try to interpret. Now it seems as though Jesus is telling his followers that unless they physically consume his flesh, physically drink his blood... They cannot have eternal life. Well, if we are to take this literally, if we are to take this at face value, at worst, that would lead us to the interpretation that would insist that we must physically eat Christ's flesh and drink Christ's blood in order to obtain eternal life. Therefore, there is no eternal life outside of physically eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And since he's not here, we're all in a lot of trouble. And even if he was here, there may not be enough to go around. So we'd still be in a lot of trouble. That is the, at, that's, that's the most literal interpretation we could take of this passage. Well, since that doesn't work, the next step would be to mysticize Christ's statement. Merging his statements in John 6 with some outward action that would miraculously transform into the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, demanding that unless this outward action is performed, eternal life would be outside of our grasp. This is what the Catholics have done with transubstantiation. We'll talk about that as we continue. The Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation says that as they are partaking of the communion, when the priest places that wafer or that piece of bread on their tongue, as they consume it, it mystically turns into the physical flesh of Jesus Christ. And as they are drinking from that wine cup, it mystically turns into the physical blood of Jesus Christ. And in this way, the Catholics have sought to logically and rationally explain away John chapter 6 in a way whereby they can uh, be consistent with the text and recognize a means by which they can obtain eternal life through some outward manifestation of action, through some liturgical obser observance, and they can be saved. Well, the question is, when we read something like John 6, 52 to 58, what do we do here? How do we deal with this? What should we do when we come across such difficulties? Well, if I can give you a general framework for what to do, and we'll apply it directly to this passage first. Always remember the context within which you rest. This is not John 1.1 1, 1 that we're reading. This is not even John 6.1. This is John 6.52-58. That means that we've already been reading in John 6 
verses 1 through 51. And it just so happens that John 6, verses 1 through 51, are pretty important to the context of John 6, 52 through 58. And so we must never forget the context within which we are operating in. So let's remember the context. At the beginning of John 6, Jesus Christ fed the multitudes. We recall that. He was on the hill near the Sea of Galilee and he fed the multitudes. 5,000 men with five loaves of bread and two fishes. Now clearly, Jesus was speaking with them then. As he continued, they, they sought him the next day. He was up in, in Capernaum. They seek him. They say, Jesus, where were you? Remember what Jesus says? You didn't seek me for the miracle. You sought me because you were hungry. And they started talking about food. We, we went through all of that together. And so it makes sense that Jesus Christ would be speaking to them within the context of food. Because that's the context with which they came to him. They came to him for food at the beginning of John 6. They came to him the second day in Capernaum looking for food. Then they brought food up and it's compounded by the fact that as they were trying to convince Jesus Christ that this is what he was supposed to be doing, they said, manna. Moses gave us manna in the wilderness. Moses fed us. You're supposed to feed us too. And so they keep bringing up food. So why wouldn't it be that Jesus Christ would be, would be uh, desirous to keep it within the context of food as he's trying to teach them that what they need is not just food. Now second, first consider the immediate context. Second, consider the context of Jesus Christ's teaching as a whole. Consider the body of his teaching. Consider John 1 through 5. We could even just narrow it down to that. Within John 1 through 5, we have seen two other very clear references to spiritual life in relation to Jesus Christ. Uh, speaking in terms of physical food. In John chapter 4, we recall Jesus is speaking to the woman of Samaria at the well. And he tells her that what she needs, that if she knew the gift of God, she would know what she needs. And if she knew that, then she would have a spring of water bubbling up in her unto everlasting life. She says, give me this spring that I don't have to come and drink anymore. Well, was Jesus physically saying that if she accepted what he had to offer, she would never get thirsty again? Physically thirsty. No, he wasn't saying that. We all know that. We know what he was saying there. What he was saying is, there is a thirst that you have that's greater than your thirst for water. There's a thirst that you have that you're trying to fulfill, and I have the answer to that thirst. And so, we don't need to mysticize this one if we didn't mysticize that one. We don't need to confuse the physical and the spiritual with this one if we didn't confuse the physical and the spiritual with that one. But then it continues. Remember, the Samaritan woman finally gets it. And she goes and she runs off and she tells her, her, uh, her city, the city of Sychar. And while she's running off, the disciples come and, and they had been going and buying meat. And they come and, and they see her running off and they say, well, that's strange. What was he doing speaking to a Samaritan? And they say, well, master, you're, you're hungry. We know you're hungry. Here, eat some food. Eat, eat some of this meat that we got for you. And remember what Jesus says? I have meat that ye know not of. My meat is to do the will of the Father. Once again, he just used a physical food reference to reference a spiritual fulfillment. He said, I have meat that you don't know of. Uh, did, did somebody give him meat while we were gone, the disciples thought? Did somebody feed him? Well, while we were out buying meat, did somebody... No, 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 no. He wasn't talking about real food. He was talking about a fulfillment that he just received 
by leading that lady into belief, a fulfillment which food couldn't possibly satisfy, a fulfillment that is greater than the fulfillment of, you know, after Thanksgiving when you got that full belly and you just kind of sit on the couch and go, yeah, that was good. The fulfillment was better than that. He says, I have meat that you know not of. And he says, my meat is to do the will of the Father. And so we didn't spiritualize the woman at the well with the, the, the fountain bubbling up into eternal life. We didn't spiritualize the meat that they knew not of, the meat that is to do the will of the Father. So we have precedent to not spiritual or to not mysticize, confuse this one either. So Jesus is speaking to a group of people who have sought him specifically to eat. It would make sense that he would use some analogy related to food. Then they bring up manna. It would make sense that then he would continue to stay on this food thought as they're continuing on this food thought. In consistency with how Jesus taught, he used language that would draw the people outside of their material thinking and place their thinking on a spiritual plane if they're willing to accept what he says by faith. And so Jesus says in verse 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. But notice Jesus is careful to state in verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, but he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. So he's careful in verse 58 to make a very strong contrast between the physical bread that Moses gave. They, they called it bread from heaven. They called it angel's food. We know that from Psalm 78. We know that from the Pentateuch. They called it bread from heaven. But he said this is not like Moses' bread. This is not like manna. This is a spiritual bread. I'm talking about a spiritual bread feeding of spiritual satisfaction not like Moses gave in the wilderness he said and here's the proof every single person that ate that manna that Moses gave is dead but what I am offering you will give you eternal life notice with me Jesus' statement at the end of verse 57 so he that eateth me even he shall live by me. The man who will commit himself to Jesus Christ, who will consume Jesus Christ, who will appropriate for himself Jesus Christ, who will take the message of Jesus Christ upon himself, who will take the person of Jesus Christ upon himself, will be kept and sustained by Christ now and into eternity. So Jesus answered our question for us. What does man truly need in this life is it food that man needs if somehow we got enough food to feed everyone in the world would everyone finally be content is it money that man needs if people had enough money would all of the world's problems finally solve themselves no it wouldn't happen it could not happen because man's problem is not food Man's problem is not money. Man's problem is not education. The message of Jesus Christ is that these are not man's true need. If man's need was something that man could fulfill, get this, 
if man's need was something that a man could fulfill, that, that if my need was something I could fulfill, if your need was something you could fulfill, then we would have already solved our own problems. 6,000 years of history is enough that we would have solved our own problems if we could solve our own problems. The problem is we can't solve our own problems. That's not what man truly needs. But then, pastor, if what man needs is outside of the material world, how can he get it? If man's need cannot be fulfilled by mankind collectively, if your need can't be fulfilled by you, how can it be fulfilled? Well, do you see that that is exactly why Jesus Christ came? Do you see that's why we need him? Do you see that's why we needed him to do what he did? Because we can't do it. He came to give man what man could not get for himself. He came not to give bread for nourishment, but bread for life. So he gave himself that we might have eternal life. And that is what man really needs in this life. So what does man really need in this life? He needs eternal life. What he needs in this life is preparation for the next. Question number two, verses 59 through 66. What is it that keeps a man from his most pressing need in this life? What is it in this life or what is it about men? What is it in man? What is it that keeps a man from his most pressing need? From salvation. Let's look at that together. Look with me uh, as we continue in verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. What is it that keeps a man from his need in this life? Verse 59 reminds us of the historical setting. We recall that Jesus has traveled in verse 12, uh, excuse me, with, the, with his 12, not in verse 12, he traveled with his 12 disciples to Capernaum, and this is where the multitude sought him and found him. When his disciples, this title describing not necessarily those who believed on his name, but those who were diligently following him, heard Jesus say the things that he said about eating his flesh, they tell him, this is a hard saying. In other words, Jesus, what you just said to us is really difficult to accept. You just told us to eat your flesh and to drink your blood. That's kind of weird. We don't really know where to go with that. What are you saying? Are you serious? Now, Jesus' response to this is pretty amazing. Verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that the disciples murmured, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? And then I love verse 62. What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? 
Does this offend you, Jesus asks. Then it's going to offend you even more when I ascend up into heaven and I'm no longer around. And then he says in verse 63, let me clear it up for you, basically is what he's saying in verse 62, 63. Let me clear up what I just told you. It is the flesh that quickeneth. Excuse me. It is the spirit that quickeneth, not the flesh. It is the spirit that quickeneth. That word quickeneth means to make alive. It is the spirit that brings about everlasting life. And then he says, the flesh profiteth nothing. In other words, he's saying, look, what I just told you about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, I'm speaking spiritually, not physically. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus is trying to tell them that he was using a word picture. He was using the context that within which they were speaking to teach them of eternal spiritual things. They don't need to physically eat his flesh. They don't need to physically drink his blood. They don't need to gather around him with a fork and begin jabbing. That's not what he's telling them to do. He's telling them that they need to accept his message. That they need to consume everything that he just told them. That they need to take his teaching he is offering them a feast of teaching. And that teaching is the word of God. And he is the word of God. Therefore, he is offering himself to them. And they need to consume it. They need to accept it. Now, don't miss this. Verse 63 invalidates, bar none, the doctrine of, false doctrine of transubstantiation that the Catholics teach. Right here, Jesus Christ says clearly, the flesh profiteth nothing. There is nothing physical about what Jesus Christ is teaching in verses 52 through 66. He is not speaking on a physical plane. He's speaking on a spiritual plane and he asserts that very clearly in verse 63. There's really no way around it if we're interpreting the scriptures properly. He wants them to believe his message. He doesn't want them to come around and begin picking off of his body. Now from this time, many who had followed Jesus turned back and walked with him no more. They liked his food, they liked his miracles, but they did not believe, and they had no desire to align him, themselves with him, and they were no longer interested in what he had to say. So we come to our second question. What is it that keeps a man from his need, most pressing need, eternal life, in this life? What is it that causes a man to hear the words of Jesus Christ, turn around, and walk away? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever been at a door? You've knocked on the door. You've introduced yourself, said the church that you're from, gotten into a good conversation, were able to step into the gospel, shared the gospel, they're sitting there, they're listening, you know, they do the thing where they, they look at the front of the track, then they flip to the back of the track, then they open the track, then they flip to the back of the track again, then they flip to the front of the track, and they're just inspecting the track from all angles, and you've given them the gospel, and they look at you, and they say, no thank you. And you walk away from the door, thinking, I just gave you 
the most important piece of news you could ever have. And you said, no thank you. How could you do that? See, there are men in this world who have their portion in this life. They want nothing more or nothing less than what this world can offer them. And so when they begin hearing about the world to come, they don't want to hear it. Because the world to come might just ask them to not have their portion in this life. Might just ask them for something less than what the world has to offer. And they don't want that. See, the people were more than happy to follow Jesus Christ as long as he was offering them something in this life. Healing for their bodies. Nourishment for their stomachs. As long as Jesus Christ was offering those things, they were so excited. But when they realized that his true message was not offering them a portion in this life, he was offering them a portion in the life to come, they said, wait a minute, no, 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 no. this is the life we want. This is where we want our life to be lived. We're not interested in the life to come, we're interested in this one. They don't want to hear about the spiritual joys of then. They don't want to hear about the, the spiritual life to come. They want the carnal joys of now. They want to live life to the fullest today. They don't want an immortal, invisible God. They want a God who lets them chart their own destiny to shape their own lives in material wealth, prosperity, and happiness. So what is it that keeps a man from salvation? It is his unwillingness to humble himself before the message of Jesus Christ. And don't be fooled. It is not a Christian life that is disconnected from culture that keeps people away from the truth. It is not what you wear. It is not the music you listen to. It is not the hard words to read in your Bible that keeps people away from salvation. Never think when you stand before a door. Never, ever, ever let somebody tell you that the reason somebody rejected salvation when you stood before the door is because you said thee and thou when you were presenting the gospel. It's not true. That's not why they rejected the message. The Holy Spirit doesn't need you to say you and your to get the message through of salvation. You're not intimidating someone so much by wearing a skirt or a tie that they can't accept the message from you. The reason why they don't accept salvation is because they want no God but a God who can serve them. And God is offering to man something that expects us to serve him. That's why they're rejecting salvation. Our first question that we asked, what does man really need in this life? Well, he needs spiritual salvation. Second question, what keeps a man from his need in this life? His own unbelief. Third and final question this evening, what will you do? What will you do? Look with me, verse 67 to 71. Then said Jesus unto the twelve. So he turns to the twelve. And he asks, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? 
and one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Jesus turns to his twelve in verse 67, and he says, will you go away? What about you twelve? I have just told you to eat my flesh. I've just told you to drink my blood. Doesn't that offend you? Simon Peter's answer, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The twelve were not tripped up by Jesus' words here, even though most likely they did not fully understand them. Most likely, as they were listening to Christ, they were quite confused as well. They may have even been like, oh boy, I really don't know where to go with this. But here's the thing. They knew that the man standing before them was the Christ. They knew it. They were sure of it. And so what what are they going to do? Are they going to walk away from Jesus just because they don't understand something? Just because they don't understand something that he was trying to teach, are they going to walk away from the Christ? Well, if you have your portion in this life, then sure. Jesus, what you said really doesn't appeal to me. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and find something that does. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm done. That was really weird, that you ju- what you just said. I'm done here. The disciple said, no, no, no. See, Jesus, you are the Christ. Who, el- who else can we go to? You have the words of life. And we are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Messiah could say anything, do anything. They would listen. They would obey because he is speaking the words of God. Because he's speaking the words of God. And this is the great answer. Simon gave the right answer. And yet Jesus knew that even among those twelve, there was a man who, for whatever reason, was still there. He did not leave, even though his heart was one of complete unbelief. What was it, I wonder, that kept Judas Iscariot there? Was it the pressure of being one of the chosen twelve? He didn't want to be the first of the twelve to walk away, so he'll just hang around? Was it the lucrative opportunity of being the one that held the coin purse I can put up with anything as long as I get to hold the coin purse because then I can keep taking from the coin purse whatever the reason was even among those who heard Christ's words and did not leave was a man that did not accept those words nor did he believe in those words or the one who spoke those words So it may be in this room today. We know what man needs in this life. We need spiritual salvation. We see many who are offended. Many who keep themselves from salvation because of their own unbelief. But throughout good, godly churches all around this country, there are and always will be men and women who stick around even though they don't believe. There will always be men and women that for whatever reason, maybe it's because that church is the place to be. Maybe it's because they hold the coin purse and they don't want to let go of the coin purse. Maybe it's because dad's 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 dad was a part of this church and so uh, I need to be a part of this church as well. Whatever the reason, they don't believe but they stick around. There will always be those who walk the walk, talk the talk, hear the 
messages, not along with the preacher, but one day they will stand before God and God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, I'm not trying to place fear and doubt in the hearts of anyone today, but we need to remember and recognize that just because a person is in the church building, just because a person followed Christ, just because a person doesn't walk away when we say, thus saith the Lord, doesn't mean that they believe. So we've asked three questions today, and by God's grace, we've answered those three questions in our minds. What does man really need in this life? Jesus answered by telling the people once again that what they need cannot be satisfied materially, physically. What they need is spiritual in nature. We need salvation by grace through faith. What keeps a man from his need in this life? Well, the passage revealed to us men whose hearts were devoted not to the message of God, but to the benefits of God. They were devoted, in fact, to themselves to their own comfort, to their own nourishment, to their own happiness in this life at the expense of the life to come. They wanted to be gods of their own destiny. And they had no room for the true and living God to enter in. Final question we asked, what will you do? Jesus asked the twelve, will ye also go away? Hard sayings. Jesus had a lot of them. Will ye also go away? Will we go away because salvation is a free gift that is received through alignment and allegiance to God, not through allegiance to self? Will we go away because we would rather have our portion in this life than in that which is seen in the life to come? Would we have gone away when Jesus declared that he is not some Santa Claus Christ simply there to give everyone what they want, but that he was there to give them salvation through belief in his message, which was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What a tremendous passage in scripture, in John 6. I fear that some of the confusing, perhaps intimidating elements of this passage have caused us to not explore the beautiful and uh, intricate Depths of John chapter 6 more closely. And I hope that these four messages that we've had in John 6 have been a tremendous help to you, not just in interpreting the passage, but in seeing the, the tremendous depth of our salvation that Jesus goes into in John 6 that we haven't yet seen in the book of John thus far. Do you see what Jesus is saying now? Can you take what Jesus said here in John 6 and express it to others? Do we see once again that what we need in this life is actually not found in this life in the sense that it's physical. It's not found on this earth, but it is a spiritual need that we need most in this life. Do we see once again what our family, what our friends, what our neighbors, what our communities need is not going to be found in our wallets. It's not going to be found in our pantries. It's not going to be found in our community service hours. It's going to be found in our Bibles. It's going to be found in the fruit of righteousness as it's exhibited in our lives. And I suppose the final question then as we go from here is this. Will we give people what they really need? May God help us to do so. Let's pray.